Well, hello and good morning. Welcome to the Monday Main Point. It is Monday, November the 15th, 2021, and uh, I'm Jonathan Hendrickson here with the Rosa Sheridan Pastoral Staff. Uh, and here on Main Point, uh, never listened before, um, we just like to go back and kind of take a deeper look at uh, the Sunday sermon. And right now in our Sunday sermon, we're, we're in the middle of a sermon, sermon series on grace and the facets of grace. And we've already looked uh, at the definition of grace, grace defined, and we've looked at uh, the most important aspect of grace probably, which is saving grace. And then this past week, uh, just yesterday, Jeremiah, uh, our youth pastor who is here with us, as well as Blake Flincham, our children's pastor, and Jeff McCarthy, our senior pastor, um, Jeremiah did a message that was basically focused on um, how grace impacts the way we live uh, once we are, once we've received that grace. So um, the I actually like what he did. He looked at grace, past, present, and future, and really focused on the present aspect of grace. Um, and um, I'll start by saying you had a video illustration that I really liked um, because that video illustration I think did a good job of explaining. Um, prevenient grace, uh, saving grace, and sanctifying grace, which is, you know, the th- sort of theological terms for exactly what we're talking about. Past grace, present grace, future grace. And um, I thought that was uh, a, a really great video illustration that that, that guy used to show um, sort of what sanctifying grace is, which is what you were looking at in, in, in your sermon. Um, the text you used was uh, Titus 2, 11 through 14. And um, I've got that in front of me, so I'll just go ahead and read that, and we'll just kind of jump into this. There's a lot that we can talk about with this, and um, uh, I'm looking forward to this discussion today, actually. All right, so Titus 2, 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Um, You know, you pointed out, Jeremiah, this is probably the most uh, grammatically incorrect (laughs) sentence. I mean, this is one of those sentences that as a as a part-time professor, if my student <laughs> turns in a paper that's got a sentence like this, I'm like, this would be better if you broke this up in a couple yeah. smaller sentences. But 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 Paul has uh, has sure. this long run-on sentence with clause after clause after clause. But I agree with you um, uh, that I think he's done that because he wants you to see the connection between all these clauses. And the very first thing that he says, mm-hmm. which is the grace of God has appeared. Yeah. And what has it done? Well, it's brought salvation for all people. And yet you could put a period there, like you said, but he doesn't. He also says it's also training us. The same grace of God that's appeared is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And so I, um, while I, I, I understood why you wanted to go ahead and, and deal with just that first part with past the sort of saving grace, even though Blake did a whole message on that, um, you know, there's there, there is good reason for explaining that because your sermon and I thought about this when when we were talking about the aspects of grace. Your sermon makes zero, zero sense 
if nobody has ever, if they haven't taken that step of receiving, you know, saving grace. It just, it wouldn't, it's, it's great for, you know, preachers talk about, okay, is this going to be like a, a gospel message or a discipleship message, right? And, and ideally, you want to try to incorporate both of those aspects in there because you, your audience is going to include those, presumably, who have never received the gospel before. And then many of, many of them who have, who need further uh, training and discipleship and such, right? And how, how, does, this, how, do, how does my Christian life impact my, practice, my, my, my everyday life? How does that now impact the way I'm going to go and, and go out and serve God and, 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 and my relationship with God and all that? And so you want to have both both and aspects. And uh, so I appreciate the fact that you went ahead and said, right out of the gate, okay, look, if you don't have the gospel, if you haven't dealt with that, then the rest of this doesn't make sense. Um, and so I'm not going to spend time on that in this session today unless you guys just want to talk about it. I mean, you did mention um, uh, you sort of define what redemption was and and also um, I had that illustration on the imputation of righteousness, how that actually works out. Um, and I think actually we can talk a little bit about that um, before we move on to what I think is the meat and potatoes of your message, which is the present, present sanctifying grace. Um, let's talk a little bit about imputation of righteousness, how we understand that, um, what that really entails, because I do think that that's that has some to do, well, quite a bit to do, with sanctifying grace, and, and in fact, I don't think sanctifying grace works at all unless you have this imputation of righteousness. And I know you, you, you know, you, when you were putting this thing together, I think you, you clearly thought the same thing. Yeah, it was the. I was just telling the fellas before we started. It was the one thing I was like, "Don't forget, don't forget to talk about this," because. Saint, sanctifying my definition of of sancti, sanctifying grace or sanctification doesn't make any sense until you kind of you understand what God has declared us to be, which mm. is righteous. Right. Uh, well, how do we become righteous? Like, how do we get that status? How do we we get that standing before God? And Paul spends a lot of time in like Romans talking about that imputation. And that's where you kind of get the, the, the really awesome quote where he says, uh, uh, Jesus, who, who knew no sin, or he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could obtain the righteousness of God. And mm -hmm. so basically the whole point is, is that we give something to God at the cross and, and, or we give something to Jesus at the cross and Jesus gives something to us. Mm -hmm. We give him our sin and he imputes or credits to us his righteousness and so uh, we have nothing to offer him except for our sin but he takes that upon himself credits us with righteousness and so that because of that for those who believe in jesus they are credited with righteousness and they receive a right standing before god and mm -hmm. it's a fancy term called the imputation of righteousness right i remember um i was in um i was in theology too um when we got into um, what we call soteriology, right? The, you know, the study of, of, of salvation, basically. And, uh, and I, I remember uh, the professor, it was Dr. McKinnon, um, actually asking the class, how does this work? <laughs> how does this actually work? Why does this work? Yeah. And, and, and I mean, you, you're dealing with a class full of theologians, a class full of young, you know, 
young and old preachers alike, right? They're, they're all they're all studying, and we struggled uh, to explain how this exactly works because we use a lot of language that says, "Oh, okay, well you do this," and and well why? Why does that even work? Why does it work that I can give Christ my unrighteousness and I get His righteousness? How does that work out? What? How does? Why does that transaction actually work? Um, and and how does it work? Does it? Because I'm not I'm not physically giving him anything, right? Um, I'm not I'm not doing any of that. So how does this actually work? And why is it that one person can do this act and it actually works out? So that if we trust in that act, that it works it it works to the good for anybody who trusts in it. Why? Why does that work? And so there were all these questions, and they're, they're things that we just sort of take for granted sometimes as. As preachers, as Christians, we just take that stuff for granted, and uh, struggling through and wrestling with actually what what this is and what it looks like and why it works is is, is a good exercise. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it's important, right? Because if, if we don't get that part right, then then the rest of it doesn't work. Uh, if, if that makes sense, yeah. Um, and you know, as as preachers, sometimes we we, we tell people, oh, you just got to trust Jesus Christ. Well. Okay, but why? You know why, and how does that? What What do you mean by trust? What What do you, What do you even mean when you say that? Yeah, I mean it's we're. I think we're getting to a point in our culture now where we, when we say things like trust Jesus, like we just have to explain it. You know, mm. I'm because with my kids and kids ministry, I was in life groups and children's church yesterday, and you know, I'm that's one thing I try to be self conscious of is like I don't want to sound like a like a broken record of churchianity words, you know, sure, sure. as we might have like experienced in the past, maybe when we were growing up and mm-hmm. things. And but uh, yeah, because we did kind of take those words for granted, but we never really wrestled with it until we got to seminary yeah. or something. And you know, I feel like our goal for our people is to get them to wrestle with it now and to explain it to them now. That way, they can the light bulb kind of can click for them. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, you you take you take a phrase like. Um, you know, asking Jesus into your heart. You know, we we we've used that a lot. I mean, preachers preachers use that. You know, when yeah. I, I, you know, have you asked Jesus into your heart? And a little kid, I mean, a child, or like if you're washed in the blood, like <laughs> right. Well, that's, that's, a, that's a whole other illustration, right. right? Yeah. But but a little child who says, uh, "Well, yeah, I, I'll, I just need to ask him into my heart." Okay, Jesus come into my heart. Well, I mean, is that an I want to say, is that enough? I mean, maybe it is. Maybe that maybe that child who says, "I want you know Jesus come into my heart," legit understands and legit understands it to you. I need Jesus because I'm a sinner, and you know, and I I need His grace. Like you talked about last week, Jeff, when you asked kids, you know, um, are you a sinner, right? And and that's a great that's a great litmus test in some ways. But I mean, those phrases that we use. Unless we explain what that actually means to ask Jesus into your heart, I don't even know if that's the right terminology we should be using. Right. I mean, you know? yeah, I mean, in our life group lesson for our kids yesterday was what does it mean to be a Christian? Mm. And so even kids, you know, they struggle with like, what does it mean to be a Christian? You know, and they'll say things like obey God, read your Bible, things like this. And go to church. And go to church. Things like, if you give them a little checklist, you know, of things right. to do, they'll probably check all of them except none of the above. Yeah. When none of the above is the correct answer. Yeah. When it's just um, basically just surrendering your life to Jesus. Yeah. And letting him be in charge of your life. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, uh, 
when you think about it, we, we emphasize that Jesus came to die for your sins, which is one part of the equation. And, and that's why this whole facets of grace, I mean, we could probably preach on grace every week yeah <laughs> and some aspect or fat facet that so so then that that in and of itself is an act of grace but then to say okay now i'm taking this person that is actually a sinner and whose righteousness in my eyes are filthy rags mm-hmm. and now i'm going to say here's my righteousness I'm, I'm giving it to you too as an act of grace right so then it takes us it really takes us off the hook to, to, to say that we've got to conjure up righteousness or we got to do these righteous acts or deeds in order to obtain the righteousness so again it's an act of grace so i think when we talk about salvation and everything um the way we couch it and the way we explain it um people really don't understand the full process of it what really happens and and even when when you do become a Christian and you've lived a Christian life and like us, you you know, you got a degree or whatever, you've given your life to study the gospel and right. the, the word. It's still amazing when you realize even more, the more you learn, you go, wow, this, this is just really mind boggling that, that Christ did all this for us and it's free. It's a, <laughs> a free act of grace yeah. on his part. <clears throat> and uh, so I think, I think with people today, I think, Back at back back in uh, let's say twenty years ago or twenty five or thirty years ago, sure. you could say stuff like "Give Jesus your heart" and things like that, and people had an understanding and a little bit of um, religious language and uh, teaching, and maybe they went to Sunday school and things like that. They they had some concepts that they could understand it, but I think we live in a society today that we have to really explain things in more detail, yeah. which takes more time, which takes building a relationship with someone so that you can explain things to them so that they can be ready to receive Christ because a lot of people uh, aren't just going to buy into where you want, don't you have your sins forgiven? Well, I don't really think my sins are that bad or I don't really look at my my lifestyle as a sin or, or don't you want to go to heaven? Like, well, you know, I may or may not believe in a heaven, you know, Mm -hmm. when I die, that's the end. So, so all these things that used to work in the past, don't really work today so you have to really explain a I, lot more yeah. and i think that's kind of why i guess god was leading me in this direction of trying to have this sermon series on grace is because i think it's really the most un- misunderstood concept mm. that we use all the time yeah yeah well yeah and like you said in the post everything world you know post modernism post everything post truth world mm-hmm. i mean it, you do have to explain stuff and you do have yeah. to have that i was reading a paper the other day and uh like they built a temple in Kerry. It's a big Hindu temple. That's why a lot of these, uh, if you go to Kerry and Morrisville and mm-hmm. all their, all those places are being inundated with people from Asia and Indians and people like that because right. they're Hindus. And right. their whole thing is uh, within five miles of a temple is all sacred. So that's why they're buying up all these houses, apartments and all. They want to live on this sacred ground. The sacred but they said that that temple in Kerry has a hundred thousand people visit it every month. Wow. One hundred thousand people wow. come to that temple there in Cary to worship. Mm-hmm. And right here in the buck belt buckle of the Bible belt yeah. in, in North Carolina. Yeah. Um, so that's really I, I doubt there's a hundred thousand people that go to all the Baptist churches. Oh I, I'm all I'm put sure together yeah. in, in the triangle region. Yeah. So this so we live in a, 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 
a society now that, and when I read the article, they talked about worship and things like that. They're using the same terms we're using and applying it to their situation. So yeah, we, and actually, we got to be really yeah. And if you understand anything about Hindu religion, worship looks different there, obviously, than it does for us, and it's. It's more about trying to incur the favor of a God. Yeah, so no. they're trying to incur favor and grace and all, and we, we're sitting here with the answer to it. Yeah. But people are passing us by. Yeah, yeah. You know. Well, talking about you know struggling to understand uh, some of these concepts and, and, and getting a better grasp on them, you know, one of the things I, I can remember thinking this when when uh, in somewhere along my Christian journey is. Okay, and you, you sort of touched on this a little bit yesterday, Jeremiah. But, but, okay, so Christ's righteousness is imputed to me, right? So I'm, I'm made positionally righteous. And, and Christ, abi- God abides in me. God can't abide in sin, right? I mean, that's the whole, we, we say that all the time. Okay, well, God can't stand sin. He can't look at sin. He can't be around sin. And so... Um, so that's why sinful humans can't enter into his kingdom. So we have to have a savior, right? But I'm sinful. I know I'm sinful. I know that I'm so this. So like, how can God live in me, right? And me be sinful? How is it that, uh, or is it the case that I'm just not sinful now? And, and, and no matter what I do, I'm seen as righteous, right? Because how can it be that I, I'm, I'm both seen as righteous, but I'm also sinful? That doesn't seem to, to, to jive. I mean, I'm either, especially when you say I'm a new creature in Christ. We talk about being made new, right? We uh, Being made, going from dead to alive, as we talked about last week. Okay, so while I'm this new creature in Christ. God literally dwells in me. God can't be around sin. And so how is it that he can dwell in me when I know good and well that a lot of people, uh, you know, I... I, I, I get angry and say things I shouldn't say. Um, I, I, you know, I do all these sinful things, um, you know, and I, and I, it, that's just sins of commission. I'm talking about sins of omission, like being disobedient to God's, uh, God telling me to do something. I'm like, no, nah, I don't want to do that. You know, those kinds of things. How can I do that, Jeremiah, if I've, if I've, if I've been made right by Jesus? It doesn't seem to jive. That doesn't seem to make sense. Yeah, this is a super difficult question. And I think uh, I'll, I'll ask you guys a question in a second. Um, I think we may not want to use that language anymore. And I just used it recently. But uh, because like like the language of God can't be in the presence of sin. I want to know where we get that. Because I say it sometimes and I, I think I'm going to quit saying it, to be honest with you. Because if God, for, what, for the reasons I just brought up, yeah, right? for the reasons you, brought, I mean, I mean, just the the the, the whole fact of the incarnation, mm. like the incarnation yeah. can't happen if, and maybe that's why the incarnation is so great, like because literally God who who can't we we say he can't be in the presence of sin or it can't be near him, he takes on flesh and now it's he's fully like like surrounded by it like mm-hmm. he's literally being born by someone who's a sinner and has brothers and sisters who are sinners and like just dwells among people who are sinners and that's if, if we're going to say jesus is fully god then we're, we're saying that god is in the presence of sin and then 
even further when the Spirit comes to dwell within sinners than He's in the presence. And so I think maybe a better better language, unless there's just a, 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 a verse in the Bible that I'm, I'm missing here, maybe better language is, is that God can't allow sin to go unpunished. Yeah, yeah. Which is true. God can't or allow sin. Or unpunished or un, unpaid for. Yeah. But either way, it's punished. Undealt whether, with. Whether, right. whether Jesus, yeah. yeah. So he can either forgive it or yeah. he can punish. Yeah, he yeah. can, he can, either way, it's paid for. It has to be uh, taken care of. Yeah. Sin has to be taken care of. And we I see, think, we, we, yeah. and we see that, we see that in the garden, right? I mean, that's immediately what happens, the uh, Adam and Eve sin, and then sin has to be dealt with. Uh-huh. But it's interesting, though, because even though their sin is dealt with, that, that, that sets in motion the whole separation between God and man. Well, he right? pursued them and they hid from him. Right, but I'm just saying and that so, he banishes them from the garden. He's no longer walking around in their presence right. anymore. I think, and maybe that's where we get that, that idea. About I think that, I think, yeah. I think that, uh, that when, when, he's, when the tree of life and they put up the, the fiery wall to separate, and then I think when Moses wants to look at God and God says, you can't, you'll die. Yeah. You can't look at me. You can't see my glory. So then he turns his back. So so then Moses gets a glimpse of God's, you know, yeah. but the backside of God. Because I think it's probably, I think what people mean to say in, in God's righteous glory and his holiness, mm-hmm. he sin can't approach God. Mm-hmm. And so it has to be dealt with, like we talked about, either paid for or now you're separated forever because it can't come into his presence. Mm-hmm. But while we're here on this earth, until we get to that point in time where we're beholding his glory face to face, you know, like the the thousands upon thousands of people from all every time, tribe and nation, you know, crying out, holy, holy, holy. Sure. When you get to that point, yes, <laughs> you know, everything has to be imputed and paid for and you're righteous and right standing and now you're in that 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 final new creation body because you see Jesus and you're just like him but right. until we get to that point we're in this process part of it which Jeremiah talked about the present so, yeah and then how grace then trains us to live this life even though we he, he knows we're going to mess up right and but he's still there to give us the the grace to continue on. I've actually thought to myself that, and, and, and you're, you might laugh at this, but you know, I look at I, I look at the the garden, and God God creates everything good, so he declares it good, mm-hmm. and then we see Adam and Eve mess it up. You know, they they, they disobey God, and they, they they disobey and they sin, and so that sets in motion everything that we you know we, we understand the fall, and then you know. Uh, eventually, the God's plan of redemption and the salvation and, and and restoration, and so and we know that we're heading towards and you mentioned it. You know, we're heading towards a time of future hope where, like you just said, you know, we'll be in the presence of God. And and I and I keep thinking, oh, so so we're gonna go back to the garden, and you're gonna let me in the garden. I'm gonna mess it up again. Yeah. I'm just gonna mess it up. Like if you're gonna put me in there, just know I'm gonna mess it up. Like I, I'm gonna I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> What's going to happen when Jonathan breaks the law? Because he probably will, uh, and and, he's, and, he's, and he messes everything up. Is Jesus going to have to come and die again? Uh, you know all this stuff. No, I, I because I look at myself and I go, okay, I have Christ's righteousness right now, but I'm still very much a sinner. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not. I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm not. I'm not out there 
killing people. <laughs> We're going to intervene with him after this podcast. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. I, and, and, I, and then I think to myself, okay, unless something fundamentally changes within me, then what's going to prevent me from making the same mistake that Adam made? Transform then. You're going to be different. Yeah, but okay, so how though? Like, how, how does it me still be me? Do you know? Do you get what I'm saying, Jeremiah? Yeah, you're still going to be you. Your personality. Now. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, it's a tough question. I think what you're getting into, uh, you know, is. Because we're saying I'm positionally, right now, I'm positionally justified. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah. even positionally justified Jonathan makes massive mistakes. Yeah. And and has to have sanctifying and has to have sanctifying yeah. grace work in his work in his favor, right? In this present age. To train me up in this present age. Well, I don't know, like unless unless you're going to unless something fundamentally changes, like fundamentally changes. Then if it fundamentally changes, am I even myself anymore, right? At that at that point. And if they, if it takes a fundamental change, then why didn't you fundamentally change me now? Like why 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 not fundamentally change if if there's some sort of change is gonna happen why not do that now so that I don't mess it so I don't mess anything further up and I can live up where well, you're not gonna mess up once you get to heaven but that's what I'm saying why do I have to even wait to get to if I'm positionally I'm positionally justified right now mm -hmm. right and I, by the way I'm just asking questions that I know yeah. other people think about well but <laughs> the main thing is because there's other people that aren't positionally at the place they need to be at and God has to have a messenger of people here to show people how to get to God so we're still in that process right now yeah okay and yeah we're gonna mess up because we, we don't have our glorified body yet that's gonna happen in the twinkling of an eye we're gonna be changed and we're all gonna have a different body we're still gonna be the we're still gonna be ourselves who we are in essence our personalities and all we're gonna know our, who we are mm -hmm. uh, you know it's just like when when they went to the mountain of transfiguration they mm -hmm. saw uh, uh, Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Mm -hmm. They recognized them. They knew who they were. Mm -hmm. And um, so I wouldn't worry about that part of it. I think Jesus got that and handled it. I think the present age is where you need to really more work on those. Well, this, but to me, this, this deals with the present age in some ways. Because, and this gets back to my original question, why is it that I have to, why, why, why is it that I'm still messing up? Well, I thought you um, would be preaching on that this coming Sunday. No, I'm actually preaching on being a good recipient of grace and being a good giver of yeah. grace. I think this deals more with what Jeremiah was saying yesterday, and and I I, I, I can see he's wanting to say something to it, so I'll, I'll let him. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll be quiet over here. Well, I mean, I, I don't think we have a great answer for that. I really don't. Like, why why are we still here? Mm -hmm. And I think it's because of. I would say purpose, like like Jeff just mentioned, because all the texts that that talk about uh, Christ has changed you, but He's also created you for good works. Mm. He's created you for, for purpose, for tasks. Sure. And I think Adam was too. So to say, like, because when we look at Adam, we wouldn't say at something fundamentally changed with Adam. Meaning, right. meaning that his essence changed. No, no. Right. I mean, right. if I'm if I'm understanding philosophy and and those things correctly, so Adam's in the garden. He's still Adam. After he's out of the garden, we he's, still call him Adam. Yeah, he's not. I don't think. I don't think his essence is. So changed. I think in he's the still... same in the same way. Mm -hmm. Once we go back from from sinful humans or or unrighteous humans, 
once we enter heaven, it's the same. Like I'm the same person, yeah. But now my my status position has changed. It, and we say that our, that has already happened. But the Bible, I mean, I didn't mention it, but the Bible is really clear. Like that technically doesn't happen until you've endured, mm-hmm. until you've persevered. And it's like, well, what what about now? Like I am a Christian, right? Well, yes, and I'm going to be a Christian, yes. But technically, that's not true until you've persevered. Right. And so from that, you can understand, by the way, why, why say, process. our Roman Catholic friends will, will take, take the process of sanctification and make it and, and, and marry it with justification and say that when you, if you die, that, that you know, you, you're not going to die fully sanctified, that you've not actually made it yet. Like you, so you need this time in purgatory or whatever to become, to, to, to finish that purifying process. You can understand why, where, where their rationale comes from because of the conversation we're having here. Um, but, I, but I understand, and I, of course I don't believe that. I believe that we are positionally justified. And, and uh, I, I, I like the language you used yesterday, Jeremiah, that, that God has declared us to be something that he's now making us to be. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I just, um, I think it, that that uh, that process, I mean, we say that that process of sanctification, what, ends at death? I mean, is that is that sort of our belief that it ends with our death? Because, <laughs> excuse me, death ushers in this period that we'll be, Fully sanctified, uh, you know, to borrow Jeff's term, glorified. Um, yeah, they call it they they call it uh, glorification. Yeah. So there's justification, sanctification, sanctification, mm-hmm. then glorification. glorification. Yeah. And that happens at at death. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So 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 to your point though, you're saying that you think that that sanctification seems to glorification can't happen until we've endured. Right until the end, which could be for some like immediately. Yeah, well, the thief on the cross, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Right, it could be day up justification. Right. So the sanctification process is is really for the present age. I mean, that's what the text says. It's in this present age, mm. and uh, and it's for purpose. It gives you purpose. Okay, okay. So what purpose is it that that it that it's for? Good works. Well, yeah, for, yeah. For, it says for love and good works, but, you know, more specifically, if we're going to say, like, how do we apply that? It's to love one another, sure, but it's it's to tell others about mm-hmm. Jesus mm-hmm. so that they can experience the same justification, sanctification, glorification. Right. I think the, I think the two points you made yesterday uh, under that training up in the, in, 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 in the, the process is, is training us to renounce ungodliness, yeah. right, to, to live godly lives. And then also to do those good works. Yeah, to perceive right. everything that is godly. Right. Uh, because, like, I, I, think, I think about this a lot. When Jesus says, I'm leaving and it's to your benefit, I, I don't think that's hyperbole. I think he means that. Hmm. Meaning that you're going, to, you're going to be my representatives. You're going to be the godly on earth. Mm-hmm. So when people see you, they see good works. They see God working in you. Which is why it's so important for us to get this right. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if we really are supposed to be the representatives of, of God or ambassadors of Christ, I think as Paul puts it in, mm-hmm. in, um, 
you know, that you, we are ambassadors of Christ, right? As God's making his appeal through us, mm-hmm. we reconcile to God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, if we're going to do that, then we need to live these sort of godly lives. There was a question in our life group yesterday um, that I think is a good one. because I was talking about Moses and um, that really weird passage in, in Exodus 4 where uh, Moses hasn't circumcised his son and God's mm-hmm. angry with him. Is like coming, you know, is, 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 is uh, the Bible says he sought to, sought to kill him and, and Zipporah, you know, circumcises their son and throws, you know, <laughs> throws him, calls him a bloody man. Right, calls him a bloody bridegroom <laughs> and all this. I mean, it's a really weird story. But the point that the 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 the, the, uh, the author of the study was making, and it's good, is that um, you know Moses couldn't properly be God God's representative, and and without you know without this step, without living a godly life, and so the question was, can we effectively be God's representatives without living godly lives? Can we effectively be God's representatives without living godly lives? And for our purposes, the only way we can do that is through grace. Well, yeah. Because everybody else teaches, you do this in and of yourself, you conjure it up, you do enough good deeds, you do enough good works, you're earning this grace, you're earning... You're earning all this stuff so that then now you can be presented to God. Mm-hmm. And even Christians do that. Even after saving grace, we fall into this trap, which is, I thought, that was the key to this whole thing. And I, I probably read it before, really didn't realize it. But when Jeremiah did that run on sin, it's, it says grace is the thing that's training us and teaching us. Yeah. And I yeah. like the way he looked at it as a personal trainer. Right. Because Paul says the law was a tutor, which mm-hmm. teaches us that we're sinful and we need something. We need a sacrifice. And then now grace is saying, hey, but I'm coming alongside you. I'm trying to help improve you, not for for, for the whole purpose of you now glorifying God, not to bring glory and attraction to your own self, but to say, hey, look, I'm trying to point sure. to this, this person named Jesus. And so the way I can do that is I've got to abstain from these worldly lust and all in order to focus on trying to be who God would have me to be in order to tell others about Jesus so they can experience this grace that I've experienced. Yeah, and see, I, I, I'm 100% with you, Jeff. The thing, the thing that I, I was thinking about with this is, okay, um, and I, 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 I'm, like I said, right there, uh, I think that's the key to it. I, I thought that it stood out to me as well when Jeremiah was talking about that run-on sentence. It's really cool. So I understand how grace saves us. Right, I get that. I get. I get that. I, I'm, uh, you know, it's God, God's riches at Christ's expense. Right. But mm-hmm. if I'm going to look at grace that way, how is it that grace operates in terms of sanctifying me? Like, how does that? I get that. You know, so grace has appeared to train me. I get how it saves me. I get how I need it there. Well, how does it work here? Especially when, um, I I guess this is a follow up question to that. What is the relationship between grace and my effort? Yeah. Because well, I, I, I think you need both ends, right? Yeah. Or, or, or am I wrong? Well, I don't the first, understand. The first, thing, the first time, let's say you get saved, and you think, okay, I'm saved, I'm righteous, I'm before God. And the very first time you sin, all right, mm-hmm. if you don't have grace, then you're going to say, I've blown it. I'm done. God's done. It's kind of like when we I preached on Peter about the time when we talked about love, how he could have said, look, I've blown it. I'm going back to doing what I did. He's not going to have anything to do with me. 
Right. And so grace keeps coming back to us. Grace keeps saying, look, you messed up. That's fine. Convict us of our sin, things like that. Confess. Get your relationship back. Get your fellowship back. Because it's not all about your works anyway. It's about me and you having a relationship. Yeah. So I think I think that's the most important thing. Because if not, then the first time we mess up, we're done. Mm-hmm. We, you have, you know, you know, we don't have a relationship anymore. Right, right. And if you look at it in your marriage and your children and stuff like that, when you're having conflicts and things, you know, it's only by you know by, by exercising grace among each other, we stay in these relationships. Right. So, like, I, I'm going to get back yeah, to you. Yeah, we've been talking about all here. You're good. And I don't want to go to Jeremiah because I think he was about to say something there too. Yeah, I'm sorry, but no, where are, are are we? Would you say where it's 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 a uh, it's a uh, 50-50 split between grace and our effort when it comes to sanctification. Is it a 60-40 split, 90-10, 100% grace? What is it? I mean, where, where is it? How much of it is my effort and how much of it is grace? So grace should affect 100% of our works, okay. if that's a good way to put that. So grace, you know, it's like, it's, you know, I think of kind of like grace if it's kind of like a generator putting power to a building like you know it's because you have that generator that's going to produce the that's going to produce the power and like the electricity for the building and Mm -hmm. like if you don't have that you're not going to be able to have power in that instance but um that's what should produce it but you have to go out and you know you go do those good works like it does talk about in like ephesians 2 10 so i'm not sure that there's like a necessarily like a biblical percentage yeah um (laughs) and i would really feel uncomfortable saying any biblical percentage because right. it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. So um, I wouldn't put a biblical percentage, but it's uh, our work should 100% be affected by God's grace. And when it's not 100% affected by the Lord's grace, that's when that's when sin enters. Right. And that's where, but we do have that uh, constant grace, that grace that God has kind of like bestowed upon us, and we can go back to that. And you know, work towards work towards um, a better relationship. Yeah. So Jeremiah, I, I, I'll ask you then. So it seems as though, and you even use this term that grace is a trainer, right? Yep. Uh, so grace is actively involved here. It's not like it's yep. it, it's not like grace is just um, some you know an additive to what I'm doing. Grace is the one active in helping me become. Um, how is grace active? I don't. That, that's what I'm. That's what I'm yeah, trying yeah. to dig at. Here. So, uh, just like when it says the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation, mm-hmm. we would say that's a person, mm-hmm. right? The grace of a the grace of God training us. I think we would say that's a person. Mm-hmm. This person though is a different act of grace. It's Holy Spirit. Oh, okay. okay. So it, how? So when you ask, how does this work? The trainer is the Holy Spirit. I, mm-hmm. I probably should have been more clear on that. I, I tried. But it, it's the Holy Spirit. He comes in and he, he lives in you, mm-hmm. literally. Mm-hmm. And so that when you have good deeds, I think they are 100% as a result of that. So then the question is, what's my role? A different, difficult question to answer, but I think it's similar to what's your role in salvation. Mm. It's just receiving it. Mm-hmm. It's just... It, it's weird because we're trying to put active terms to, to something we should do passively. Mm. Basically, yielding. 
Did you yield to the Spirit? Well, that's so hard to understand, right? Because, I mean, everything else in my life involves my acting in yep. it. And, and so to say that I'm just passively going to receive this and passively it's going to happen, when I know it's going to take me going, I'm like, I'm not, like, not going to sit here in this chair and passively end up doing mission work in in no. Peru. Yeah. You know, I, that doesn't happen. It takes an act of my will and so, I, I, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, so it's like... Um, Whereas, does it so feel like that with salvation? With salvation, it feels like, yes, okay, there is an act of will that I, that I yeah. come and I accept the gift. But I'm not really doing anything. That gift is just given to me because of what Jesus has already done all, already in the past on my behalf. So, And yet, you still have to believe. Yeah, 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 yeah sure. you still have to receive. Yeah. Right? So, like, there's... But even belief... And receiving those things seem passive. Yeah, that's but, true. But, Belief is but, passive, but no, then right. works are active, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't have time. But uh, charismata is literally the word used to talk about spiritual gifts, right? It, it's called grace gifts. Mm-hmm. Grace gifts. Mm-hmm. That's what they're called. Like I should have said that because it, it'd be great for my sermon. But I'm saying it now for podcasts. <laughs> Uh, so they're both material gifts, gifts. You, and the gifts mean. are given to us not to but they're accumulate all these gifts and say, "Oh, look at me! I've got these wonderful yeah. gifts." It's to okay now do something with these gifts. Yeah, careful you're going to jump on my sermon. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. That's probably better for you. But I, but for me, I'm like, so what? What can I do actively? Will you yield? That's yeah. passive. But also, I think, I think, I think a huge thing for us is not quenching the spirit. Mm-hmm. Which is again passive, but also uh, discerning. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, what's me? What's old me? Mm-hmm. What's Jesus? What's what's spirit? Yeah. What's new me? Mm-hmm. And so you spend, you know, I mean, that's the that's the Christian life, and that's him training you. And, and eventually, I think it gets easier. Yeah. Because I'm like, like a, the marathon, right? The first mile you run is going to be brutal. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like super hard. But the more you train, it just it gets easier over time. Oh yeah, um, I'm not saying the twenty six point two, but when you start, that twenty six point two just looks like there's no way I could get right. That. It's unattainable. There's, yeah, but after a while of being trained, yeah. Um, well, anybody's ever done anything like that before, and uh, I did. Um, I did. I did that program. You know, couch to five k. Yeah. Uh, it, which is which is it, it's a it's a training program to train you in a month to to be able to run you know five kilometers. Yeah. And when you get off, I mean, when you start from couch, it's rough. Uh, it's very it rough. Terrible. You, and, and it's even just I mean it's breaking it down like okay walk for two minutes run for thirty seconds and every thirty seconds you're like do I have to run anymore? And you know, eventually it gets <laughs> you're looking at the clock right and eventually it gets to the point and it's like. You, I remember this. It, there's a there's a moment in the training program. It's maybe week three or four, and you're like, it, it, it's it's gradually been increasing the amount of time you run versus the amount of time you're walking, and then suddenly, just out of the blue, it just says run for twenty minutes. You're like, no, I can't do that. But what you don't realize is all these little victories that you've been doing has prepped you to actually run that for that twenty minutes. And once you're past that milestone, dude, it. Everything opens up at that point. You're like, I just ran for 20 minutes straight. 
I can do this. I, I, my body has been trained to that point, and not so now those things that seemed impossible suddenly become possible. And I think that there's some correlation there between what you're saying here with with, with the Holy Spirit and 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 his 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 work in our lives. It seems as though living these godly lives is impossible when you first get saved, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean when I first got saved, my whole goal was just to be a Christian for a year and see if it really was real. But, you know, <laughs> well, going back to what Jesus said, right. I mean, it was just little victories and things and things, bad habits and all, like and renewing your mind and like, okay, I can't watch that or look at this, but I can watch this and read this. And because um, if I had the thing, when I got saved, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to go to heaven I'm going to be this 80-year-old man, you know, that's been a Christian the rest of his life. It was like, can I make it through the next week? Can mm. I be a Christian for a year? Can I can I really live a life that, that would be pleasing to God? Mm. Not not that I was trying to do it on my own, but right. I started reading the Bible and things like that. And then I started witnessing the people. It's just it became natural. And I think that's kind of what... I think that's what the grace gift is for sanctification, is that when you do these things through the Holy Spirit... Because it is a struggle. I mean, it's a struggle for us as pastors, but eventually it becomes like a natural thing that is just part of your what you just do normally. Like you don't have to stop now as an effort to pray for somebody. You just pray for somebody. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't stop and have to make an effort to like, okay, do I need to read my Bible? You just read your Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't have to stop and make an effort to talk to someone that needs my help. I just do it. And it becomes then a part of your flow, that abundant life Christ talks about. But that that can only come through the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And um, and it is a marathon. You know, it is a race. It's a marathon. It's a walk. It's a journey. All those words that's used to describe the Christian life, it's not just a uh, this step, this step, and we're in. And I think this was the whole thing about this whole grace thing was the in-between. Mm-hmm. This is the most important part of the grace. I yeah. think this praise of age thing because we get the salvation, we get the heaven, and we're like, okay, now what do we do? We don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. It's already been done for us. Like, no, there's things we can do, not not of ourselves, but what God wants to do for us in order to bring glory back to Him mm-hmm. through those good works. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole motivating thing is if I'm doing it for me to put a plaque on the wall, to get a building named after me, you know. Then I'm just doing that for me. But if mm-hmm. I'm doing it for God, then it doesn't really matter, you know, if my name's ever even mentioned, you know. Right. That we're trying to win people to Christ. So I think, um, I guess we're answering our own questions that we're bringing up because, uh, yeah. The biggest thing is I think most people fall into the trap of they've got to do things to get grace. And the more I do, the more grace I'm going to get. No, and you do things because you yeah. have grace. Right. I, I was thinking about the, you, we can go to the cafeteria, mm-hmm. and you walk through the line, you pick out what you want. Or mm-hmm. you can go to the, the all-you-can-eat buffet, mm-hmm. you can get as much as you want of anything you want. Right. And grace is more like the all-you-can-eat buffet. Mm-hmm. You know, and my grace gifts, your grace gifts, because I have certain gifts, you guys have certain gifts. When we come together as a body, when we come together as a church, we're all exercising our gifts. We're all doing this thing, and it works. Yeah, yeah. You know, but if it was cafeteria approach, then it's not going to work. 
Right. You know, yeah. I'm the most important. I'm the steak. I'm the roast beef that everybody wants <laughs> in the cafeteria. But I've got it, and it's all for me. And I might give somebody a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. That's the way we approach it sometimes. <clears throat> right. And it shouldn't be that way. And, and our lay people do that. They think, well, the pastors are righteous and spiritual and holy, and it's their job, and we've hired them to do this. And so really, it's up to them. Yeah. And it, it never was meant to be that way. No, no, it, it's not. I mean, every every... I mean, that's why we talk about the, the priesthood of the believer. You know, we, we we don't think that we have any certain special standing. I mean, if you listen to this podcast at all on the regular, you hear us talk all the time about how we're, we all struggle. I mean, every, all four of us do. None of us have got it all figured out. And um, to, to think that we do is, is just to... But we don't think that, but a lot of lay people think that. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. And I, a lot, that, of, a lot of pastors do present a an air of... I've got a togetherness that they don't have togetherness. Yeah, I hope. But then it makes it like, well, if he's got all this grace, how do I get me some? Right. Which then the prosperity gospel and all that falls into place where if I do all these things, then I'm going to be rewarded and given. I I think what it is, Jeff, is we we fall into that trap of just, I mean, put, you know, kind of married grace with love here in some ways. And, and, And we fall in that trap of thinking, well, if I want my my wife to love me more, then I need to do these things for her, right? Or if I want my children to love me more, then I need to be there for them in this way. And and, and it's always about getting getting people to love us more. And so then when we look at God and we think, well, okay, I want God to love me more. So then I need to do all these things in order for him to love me more. But What we forget and what we have really a hard time, I think, understanding is that God is not going to love you any more than he loves you right now. And he's not going to love you any less than he loves you right now. His love for you is perfected. Like that, we miss that. Now, our love is not perfected towards him, but his love towards us is perfected and even before you become a Christian, his love for you is perfect. It's not that you do anything to curry his favor. To, to go back to what you were talking about with, with those people who go to the temple. You know, they go to the temple because they think, if I bring this sacrifice, if I burn this candle, if I say this prayer. If I give this money. If this I give this work. money, if I do this good work, right, that, that, that this God... Figure this deity will love me and then will seek to give me the things that I want in life, will bless me materially, will give me, will make me prosperous. I mean, that's really what it's all about. And 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 what we're talking about here is something completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do want to do these good works. Yeah, I do want to sacrifice to God. I want to. Uh, give him more not though so that he will bless me with his favor or give me more of his love but so that my relationship with him grows and and in that I am being blessed more with his yeah. does that make sense mm-hmm. it's not that we're 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 in any way shape form or fashion currying his favor I think we all fall into that trap sometimes though I think we think to ourselves man, you know, I'm just, you know, my bank account isn't what it should be because I've just not been praying like I should be. Mm, yeah. I, you know, I, I didn't get that job this week um, because I skipped out on church, like, you know, the last two times mm. that they've had they've had services. 
Or my child just fell and, and bumped their head and had to have stitches. I wonder what I did that it got that 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 you know that made this bad luck fall on me. And we 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 treat God as though He's the God of luck, right? The God of God of, of good favor, you know, good favor, bad favor. And and okay, yeah, there are times where we get punished for our for our wrongdoings, mm-hmm. sure. But not every bad thing that happens to you, or every good thing that happens to you, happens because of your particular action. Well, and even in his discipline, it's an act of grace. Because yeah. the Hebrews teaches us that uh, when you do get discipline, then it helps prove that you are a child of God. So Actually, something really uh, to be rejoice about. There's some people who translate that word training as disciplining or discipling. Mm-hmm. That, oh, that in, word in, training in, in, in Titus. Yeah. In the and text. Is, yeah. Yeah. So like you're you're exactly right. Like it's it's because when you think of a trainer or instructor, like there's the there's like the the no you you're off the path, mm-hmm. and I need to correct you. Mm-hmm. So like it's the same thing. Yes. There's there's and that's an act of grace as well. Yes. And what Jonathan was talking about, I might be going way off topic here, maybe, but uh, it's okay. Essentially, a few here. essentially, what we do when you when you when you serve God in order to get something else, like like I want my bank account to go up, mm-hmm. and so I'm I see God as a means to receive mm-hmm. something that I think is greater than Him. Mm-hmm. Which is what we call idolatry. I mean, really. Yeah. yeah. I I need. I want to serve God, and I'm going to serve God. I'm going to you know give Him money so that my bank account will grow, or that my business, or I'll get that job that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And and it's just like completely backwards. Like we we want this this gift that we think is greater, and mm-hmm. so we serve the thing that is actually the greatest. Mm-hmm. We serve. I'm, I'm putting air quotes for those who can't see. We serve the thing that we think is greatest, which is or 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 the great thing, the thing, the means by which I'm going to obtain something else, which basically means that I think the other thing is more important than him, mm-hmm. and that's just idolatry, right? And 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 the Bible's like so clear, like no, he is the gift. Like there's nothing greater than him. Like why would you why why would you serve or or, or or think you need to serve him so that you can receive something else. Like, it's not about that. It's about receiving him. Mm-hmm. It's relational. Like, he wants a relationship with you. And there's a rapper. I know most people probably listening to this don't care about rap. But there's a Christian rapper named uh, Trip Lee. His name is really William William James Barfield III. Um, but he says, he, he in one of his songs, my favorite song, he says uh, that all of our roots stem from the fact that we're separated from our Creator. So mm-hmm. every problem we have on earth stem from the fact that we don't have a relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus is the gift. He is the greatest. I mean, like, that's just grace. Um, yeah, I ended with, with quoting... Titus 3, if y'all want to do that again. Yeah, yeah. And the reason I do so is because I think Titus 3 fills in some of the gaps that I think Titus 2 actually kind of missed on. One of those gaps is the Spirit. Mm-hmm. So if you remember that quote I gave, the, uh, that God, the, uh, God's greatest act of grace is sending us His Son, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus' greatest act of grace is accomplishing our salvation on the cross. Mm-hmm. The Spirit's greatest act of, act of grace is coming to dwell within us. Mm-hmm. Well, 
I think all of those are mentioned in in three on top of the fact of the works that it kind of ends on in verse mm-hmm. eight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it, so it's just kind of a really good summation and, and everything we've been talking about. Yeah. So and in far. fact, I, as you were rereading Titus 3, 1 through 8, I was thinking about my message that's coming up uh-huh. this Sunday. And I thought, well, this works out. With, it works yeah. for it, too. Um, it just it sort of sums up everything that all four of us, I think, are really trying to say. So, yeah, we can end on that if you like. Before we do that, any other thoughts on on I mean, we've kind of covered a, a wide gamut of stuff today, but it. I think I think you're right, Jeff. I think um, for the Christian, anyway, getting this idea of present grace, um, getting a real grasp on that, is so important because um, we need we need to recognize that okay, yeah, um, there's there's more going on than just our salvation, um, and that he is he is a. a, a empowering us as you put it Blake you know sort of the the engine behind it um, to, to do these good works and we should be about doing these good works and I mean, we've been recipients of grace and we need to be givers of grace and we're going to talk about that next week so yeah. um, I was reading a book this week and it was uh, um, it was like in the context of uh, like how to stay Christian in seminary but I think it applies to our podcast today it, the, they said the whole goal of seminary is to realize that um is to not become unweak, and so for us, we need to realize that like we are weak without mm-hmm. God. You know, like we're mm-hmm. nothing without God, and like we need to realize that you know relying on that grace is like our lifeline, mm-hmm. and grace is our lifeline. It's by grace we are saved through faith, mm-hmm. and um, just realizing that you know our right status without God and with God, and realizing God's status, I think is really important that way we don't use him like a like a genie in a bottle right or yeah. something like that and because that's it's when when we do treat god like that we just don't have a right view of god you know, and that stems well, yeah. from like a thwarted and twisted view of god you know when really we're using like a we were putting god on like a subpar level and making us like above him mm-hmm. when we do things like that yeah yeah so, um, yeah, we'll close out with uh, reading Titus 3, 1 through 8, because I think it is a good summation, and we'll just read through this really quickly. Um, Paul writes to Titus, he says, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, right? To speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. So all those things are things that, 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 that take grace to do, right? Mm-hmm. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Mm. That's where we were. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom... He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Yeah, that's a good way to end today. All right, well, uh, thanks for joining us on this uh, edition of the Monday Main Point. Next week, we will look at uh, John 13 as we look about being, uh, we're going to wrap up our series on grace. 
uh, facets of grace. Not that we're covering all facets of grace. Like Jeff said, we could preach on this every Sunday in the in a year and still probably not cover it all because grace is so rich. And I hope that that through the sermon series and through this podcast, you guys are really starting to get a taste of that. But we'll be looking at uh, the example of Peter um, with Jesus. Um, he's always a good one to look at. And uh, in terms of our... Um, uh, being a recipient of grace, but then also learning to be good givers of grace. And that'll lead us into our Thanksgiving week. So, all right, well, that's it for today. Thanks again for joining us. We appreciate you uh, tuning in, and we'll see you on the next one. So long.